Hi, this is KJ, and welcome to, I think it's episode 9, I think I've got it mislabeled, uh, that tells you how good I am with math if I can't keep track of how my episodes are actually labeled, but I think this one is episode 9, but I got episode 8 listed as episode 9, so just for clarification, this is the first episode of the year 2021. I was going to record a session last week, but my anxiety had been so high that I couldn't think straight or have a stream of consciousness that could go on to actually explain the story as to why last week was so difficult. It was difficult before the national politics happened, and I was transfixed watching to see if the United States, as we knew it, was actually going to survive. Fortunately, it looks like it will, and um, we can go on with our lives. We just have to be vigilant and make people accountable, and I'm talking as Americans, not as just one side of the aisle or the other. But let me talk a little bit about why January 4th is such a difficult date for me. It's a huge anniversary quote-unquote, for two aspects. One, it was the fifth anniversary of the day that I was uh, ambushed divorce papers were served. And number two, it was the date that my uh, former boss informed me that I would be laid off for my job of 24 years. I'm going to go ahead and talk about the divorce because I think that probably is a lot of why people want to listen to I'm 62 and don't know what the fuck I'm doing because this is a divorce that nobody should have to go through. I mean, it was just two people. There were no kids. We had a small estate, you know, a rental house, a uh, family dwelling, a boat and two cars and my pension. So that was nothing that should have been blown to the magnitude that it was and it all started with the way that it was handled when I was served. So um, December 14th was our 37th wedding anniversary. And every year, since even before we were married, and I actually started doing this when I was in high school, would we go over the mountains to a small tourist town where they have a Christmas festival and go to the festival. Well, one year when we were going over there, Dick Doodle and I were going over there, he asked if we wanted to get married since they had a small wedding chapel. So we'd been living together and yeah, it was it was that time. It was time to get married. So we got married on December 14th. So this uh, five years ago, every year for our anniversary, we went over there. We took our dogs, we'd spent, go stop and go skiing and then spend three days in town and having a nice anniversary dinner. And then I always bought a little uh, commemorative snow house, you know, those Department 56 snow villages. So I have quite a collection, one every year. And uh, we did everything as normal. We went skiing, we had our reservations, we took our dogs. We went down, had dinner, went for a walk, spent a lovely time at the Christmas festival, and drove home. Then 
I had a vacation and the vacation stretched from Christmas Eve to the day after New Year's, which was January 4th. And that was not unusual for me to be able to take those three days off between the Christmas and New Year's holidays. And that way you get 10 days off and nice break for the holidays. We had did Christmas and for Christmas, he gave me a watch that I'd actually wanted. But it was very strange when I opened up the watch. It was set at the time 420, which everybody knows is the code word for pot smoking time. And he swore up and down that he had nothing to do with that. And it came from the factory that way and everything else. But, you know, it, I know he thought it was a joke. And then there was a couple other small gifts. On the other hand, I gave him $1,000 worth of new ski gear. He was not somebody that actually went out and bought a lot of stuff for himself. So I didn't mind buying him a nice $400 spider ski coat. I didn't mind buying the matching ski pants that were Gore-Tex and had all of the bells and whistles on them. I didn't mind buying a nice pair of leather mittens that uh, since he also taught skiing that he could put his pens and his, and his class cards and everything right into the glove. I didn't mind buying the matching hat. I didn't mind buying a new pair of goggles and then socks and underwear and the other kind of things that you typically buy for a spouse. During that week, my car, the check engine light had kept coming on and off. And it had, over the past couple of years, it had had a habit of doing this. And he would just put the little code puller in it and it always seemed to be something very, very minor, like you can make an adjustment and it would go out. And this had happened um, more than once over the past six months prior to this last time. So it, it went off. And what it was, was I had half the lights in the dashboard were out. So over the holidays, since I wasn't driving the car, he volunteered to replace the lights in the dashboard. So... One day between the Christmas and New Year's holiday, he took my car and took off and was gone for like eight hours. And I kept calling him or texting him and trying to figure out what was going on because he said he was going to go down to O'Reilly's to buy the bulbs that went into the dash of the car. I managed to get a hold of him a couple of times and his excuse was that the local O'Reilly's didn't have them in stock and he had to go to Federal Way and he was stopped in traffic. Well, Federal Way to Seattle in the winter, in the rain can be a bitch. So I chose to believe him. And when he came home, he had, you know, a sack of light bulbs. So New Year's weekend rolls around and we skied both days. We went up to the local hill here at Snoqualmie on New Year's Eve because we know some people up there and had a drink in the bar with them. And then the following day, went up to Stevens and met with the group that I ski with up there. And these are people that we've known for 40 years. And there's four, five couples. Oh, excuse me. That's an alarm telling my phone ringing. Let me get rid of that. You can tell this is live because I'm not going to bother editing that out. So we were sitting at the table, you know, we had skied together 
And then we went up to the pizza place and ordered a pizza and had a few beers. And we were adding up the number of married years between the three couples that were there. And we came up with a number that was close to 150 years of marriage between all of us since, I mean, we've known each other since we were teenagers. We all got married about the same time. So here it was 2015 and life had gone on. They had kids, their kids were now in college. Some of them, one of of the ladies is a grandma. So, you know, when you get into your late 50s and 60s, and you've all been friends for that long, the years add up. We took pictures of each other, and we loaded them to Facebook, and it was a, a big party celebration. Well, then the next, over that weekend, there was the Seahawks were playing, so we watched the Seahawks game. Can't remember if we went to the game or not. You know, I had season tickets, so I couldn't remember if we went to the game or just went someplace and watched the game. And so that would have been Sunday. And then Monday, I went back to work. I got up that Monday, and for the past six months, we'd been seeing a couple's counselor. And it was a counselor that had been selected by my personal therapist because she deals with couples and addiction. The we had been seeing them her every Monday for about six months, and there were times that Dick Doodle showed up. I would go right from work, and he would come right from home since he was supposedly working on the house. And that's the one that you know I've talked about in the past that's still leaking, and those would be some of the quote unquote improvements that he had tried to make that had failed, and now I'm stuck with the issues surrounding you know, the failed renovation project. This counselor, she was a very nice lady. She was a very skilled woman and she would give us exercises. He would do them half-heartedly enough so that he could quote unquote pass and we could move on to the next one. There were times when he would come so stoned to the meetings or the appointments that she actually asked us to leave because we could not do anything productive because he was so high. He had was using a lot, a lot. And I don't, I know a lot of people smoke a lot of pot. This was beyond smoking pot. I understand that he was into dabbing. And until I knew what dabbing was, I'd never heard of it until I actually saw an expose on it if you don't know what dabbing is it's where the manu- the marijuana manufacturer and it's legal in the state of washington and the marijuana manufacturer takes the bud the big juicy greasy buds and they compress them using butane to get a wax residue and that basically you burn off all of the foliage and you're left with this waxy residue and it's pure THC. They sell it in a cube that looks like a small bouillon cube, which is a cube that's probably less than a half inch square because the stuff is so potent and you use a meth pipe to smoke it. And how it was explained to me was that when you smoke marijuana, you takes you are taking in about 25% THC and it takes, you know, 12 to 15 minutes to get to your brain. When you eat an edible, 
you're taking in about 25% of the marijuana and it usually takes about an hour before it actually gets to your brain. But with dabbing, you're smoking 99% pure THC and it's going to your brain immediately. And how I know he was involved with this is because the woman that he ended up leaving me for owns a dabbing bar. That is her thing. She has had at the time a marijuana dispensary and that's how they met and her specialty was dabbing and she advertised all the different kinds of marijuana dabbing. So he, another time he came to an appointment, he'd ride his bicycle and I got home and then the police called me shortly afterwards asking me to come back down the street because he had crashed his bicycle into the curb and was laying in the street. Now, this is a 60-year-old man who's so fucking high that he crashes his bicycle into a curb and is found by the police laying in the street. And I had to go down and gather him up. Yeah. So the morning of the 4th, I got up as usual and got ready to go to work. And Dick Doodle usually gets up and he'd have his pajamas on and he'd make coffee and get the paper and that kind of stuff. Well, that morning that I got up, he was dressed. He had his jeans on, he had a shirt on, he had a, a red fleece vest. It's amazing how you can remember those details when they're uh, seared into your memory like that. And I asked him why he was dressed. And he said he had a doctor's appointment. And which is perfectly, I had no reason not to believe that he had a doctor's appointment. So that was fine. Then as I'm walking out the door, he asked, he said, are we still on for our appointment tonight at the counselor's office? And I told him, yeah. I'm driving my car to work and all of a sudden under the dashboard, some lights start flashing and they're little red lights that are flash, 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 flash. So I get down to the office and I pull into the parking lot and open the door and look for the source of the lights. And there's a small box plugged into the port that is in your car that you used to pull the trouble codes from. Well, since he pulled the trouble codes all the time on the car, because I'll tell you, this check engine light had gone on and off. I thought it was his tool that he had left in the car. So I tried to call him and say that, you know, I've got this thing and, you know, I'll bring it home. Well, I left a couple of messages and never heard back. And again, I didn't think anything of it because I was going to see him at the counselor's office. Well, I drove up to the counselor's office and the parking lot there is very dark. And it's under a bridge. And I park my car under the only light that's there and I get out and a man starts to approach me. And he keeps approaching and approaching, and I start walking as fast as I can, try to get to the counselor's office. I'm scared to death. And he keeps yelling my name and yelling my name. So when I get to the front door of the counselor's office, he catches up with me. And at that point, I acknowledge, yeah, it's me. And he hands me an envelope, a very large envelope, and says, you're served. And I stepped inside the door to the clinic, and I opened it up and I looked at it and I, I did not know what I was reading. 
So then the counselor comes out and I ask her to please read this and tell me what it is. And she goes, you're being sued for divorce. I'm like, what? She goes, no, you know, your husband has filed for divorce and you have 12 days to respond. He had gone in the day after we got back from our anniversary trip on December 15th and had filed the papers for the divorce without me knowing about it and then let them sit and percolate until I went back to work and then had me ambush served at the clinic. It was one of the scariest things that I have ever gone through. I just remember almost blacking out. How is this happening? We had never even discussed divorce. We had never even talked about the potential of anything of breaking up. That was the one thing that I had always asked him is that if you are unhappy, tell me. Because if we were going to get a divorce, we could have done this amicably. But in his his suit that he filed, he requested the house, the cars, and half my pension. And I had 12 days to respond. And this was already a Monday. I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't know how to get a lawyer. I didn't know who to call. I didn't know what to do. You probably can hear it in my voice that just talking about this five years later blows me away. I still can't believe that that portion of my life is over. I mean, I grew up with this person. We started dating when I was 19. Moved in when I was 20. And had never been more than three days apart from each other in the years that we were together. I had to work a couple of weekends and I had to do a couple of uh, field trips for college. But maybe out of the full 37 years that we were together, we may have been apart about 10 days. And I know a lot of people are thinking is like, how could somebody be that stupid that you live with this person inside and out for 37 years and one, you didn't know they were an addict, two, you didn't know they had a girlfriend, and three, you didn't know that they were divorcing you. I can't answer that other than we had had some tremendous struggles throughout our marriage, external forces, you know, financial issues that we solved. We had sibling issues that we solved. There were legal issues that we solved. And I think it was so far out of the context of my brain that the current crisis that we were going through, we would not figure out a way out of it. Well, he had left the workforce when he was 47, and that was by mutual agreement. At the time, we had an old house and it needed a significant amount of renovation. And he did all of the renovation on that house. And it took eight years 
So by the time the house was done, he had turned 55 and he decided to take his pension at age 55, which is significantly reduced. I know anybody that knows anything about pensions knows when you take a, a pension at 55 instead of 65 that you're only getting, I think, a third of what your monthly benefits would be. He could have worked another 800 hours, not 800 days or 80 months or whatever, 800 hours. I mean, that's a matter of weeks. And he would have gotten retiree medical for the rest of his life. He would have increased his pension for the rest of his life. And it would have saved me from paying his medical premiums of $200 a month for the next eight years. But he refused to go back to work. When he turned 62, he took his Social Security pension, again, a significantly reduced amount. So in the filings for the divorce, he declared himself indigent. And that's why he needed half my pension, why he needed the house and why he needed the cars. He wanted the boat sold and the proceeds split between the two of us. I had years earlier... About six years earlier, I had inherited $100,000 from my family when my parents passed away. And we purchased his pickup and we purchased the boat with it and paid cash for both. And that was the first time and the only time in those 37 years that we had something new and nice. He had finished the house. We bought a boat. We bought a new truck. And then he didn't want to go back to work. And we decided to buy the second house for him to fix up, which is the one that I'm living in and the one with the failed renovation. And it went downhill from there. The rest of that evening, again, is a real blur. But I'll tell you what that device on my car turned out to be. I took it to the police and I took it to an auto mechanic and what it turned out to be was a tracking device. He had put a GPS on my car and the only reason I had seen it is because I was going over the speed limit and the device was made for parents to put on teenagers cars so that they could wirelessly monitor where you were. And if I hadn't been going over the speed limit, I wouldn't have saw the red lights because the red lights are telling you that you're going too fast and you're being, you know, you're being tattled on wirelessly. So not only that he did not fix the dash lights in the car, not only did he spend a day just wandering around, I guess, preparing for the divorce, and I guess not only did he, you know, play the fool going all the way through our anniversary and our ski trips and he all the whole time he had already filed and he was sitting on this i was so weak that i couldn't breathe and just talking about it i can't breathe It's really, really, really strange to think that that happened five years ago. What happens after this, the next segment, 
Um, I'll talk about it in the next segment. So immediately after I got the divorce papers and the counselor explained to me what was going on, I called my boss because he had same thing had happened to him with his wife and about a year earlier and he was able to at least instruct me on that I had to get an attorney toot sweet so I only had 12 days to respond and if I didn't respond then the judge would take his filing as I agreed to it and I'd be up Shit's Creek so that means I had to find an attorney he also advised me not to go home and go in the house by myself to find somebody to go in the house with me because you don't know what he had done to the house while he was leaving. So apparently that's why he was dressed because he was making his great escape. And uh, I did call another friend and she and her husband came over to meet me. And then I called another friend, and they called a locksmith, and we all met at the house and opened the door. And I will leave it as a cliffhanger, and I will tell you what happened next on my next episode. Because you won't believe what happened. Yeah, you will. You know, this is a pretty wild-ass story, and to think... I was that naive and that stupid. I feel stupid. Come on. You know, anybody would feel stupid that this went on under your eyes. You know, I blame that I was going to work every day. I was, I had to go to work every day. He wasn't working and he was collecting a $2,000 pension and that wasn't covering our expenses. Uh, But uh, I'll tell you about his girlfriend the time I met her. I'll tell you about coming in the house here and what I found. And then the day after what I found. Then where he disappeared. And how I had to pay. And when we did end up going to court, the judge made me pay him $1,000 a month alimony until we settled the case. So that meant we... You know, I'll just tell you a little bit that we didn't end up settling until mid-November. So that means I had to pay him $11,000 from January to November. And he had defaulted on a bunch of, he had, he had opened 16 credit cards and ran up $63,000 worth of debt and defaulted on it in my name, which I didn't know about. And I found the, I find this out over the course of the next several months. Well, my paycheck gets garnished. So not only is my paycheck garnished, I don't have, I have to pay him an alimony as well as making house payments. Yeah. I did have a good friend that lent me like $10,000. And that's what it took to write the ship in the following six weeks to a point where I could actually function is you got to have $5,000 to put down as a retainer on a divorce attorney. And when he had sold all of our, he had liquidated all of the bank accounts and put them in his name. 
He had opened a joint checking account and forged my signature and then used it to launder the money out of my out of our joint accounts into this other joint account. And then he was the sole person that took out all of the retirement accounts. He bleeded dry all of all of the financial resources on top of the sixty three thousand dollars. And for that, I had to pay him eleven thousand dollars in addition. So I'm going to stop there. And this is KJ. This is I'm 62 and don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And if anybody wants to reach out, my email is skyerkayjay at 1958 at yahoo.com. I think I messed that up. So it's skyerkayjay1958 at yahoo.com. Have a good week. And I will pick up where I left off next week. Thanks so much for listening, folks.